I'm your host, Mike Pedersen, and I met this colleague of mine um, through their wonderful internet, and we really kind of clicked on a couple of topics, but the, the topic for the episode is it's going to be really interesting. I think you'll get a lot of fun out of it. But before we get that, I want to introduce her. Her name is Kim, um, and she does a lot of work with creativity and innovation. So Kim, tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, so my name is Kim McQuarrie, and I am the co-director of the Innovation Labs at the Dali Museum. And I like to tell people that I use art, which a lot of times people don't think of as being connected to business and especially to um, innovation and thinking about changing business processes and products. But I like to use art in order to get people to take new perspectives and to jumpstart their own creativity and hopefully push their innovation outcomes. So while we're exploring that innovation space, I remember that was one of the topics that was um, that we had kind of you know, chatted about. So I know this is kind of like your segment and your time to shine. So tell us a little bit about that innovation space and kind of how it works at the Dolly. Sure. So the Innovation Labs is basically divided up into different kinds of workshops um, or courses that we offer. And they're really focused on um, trying to spark creativity for teams and for organizations and hopefully help them be more innovative in their everyday work. So we do things called foundation labs and those are very much focused on the art. Um, So I'll take a team or a group and we'll actually move throughout the museum and we will riff off of different pieces of art or the architecture of the building and we'll use those as kind of push off points for thinking about You know, he had many talents, but if we had to really boil it down to what was his essence, it was his ability to see things in a different way and make other people see them in a different way. And that's what we try to help people access through those foundation labs. And then we have another set of labs called skills labs. And skills labs are really devoted to helping people build their capacities. You know, we always say, people always think that creativity might be fixed or something that you're born with, but we're very dedicated to the idea that everyone is creative. And we also have a growth mindset here. Um, You're not at a fixed point. You can always grow and change. And so the skills labs are really focused on how can we teach people um, how to access their creative capacity and build it through being more mindful of the process. And then finally, we have solution labs. And those labs are really focused on individual challenges or issues that a team or a company or even an individual might be facing. And we custom design um, something around that challenge. And so it could be anything as simple as how might we improve our employee evaluation process to something as complicated as how might we impact this you know really big challenge that is dependent on a lot of interlocking systems where we need to bring different people together different groups together um, in order to solve that so that's in a nutshell kind of what we do yeah that sounds awesome now are these more 
kind of conceptual workshops or do you actually kind of get down dirty roll with Steve's type of uh, kind of prototyping with some of these things or is it a little bit of both? Yeah, I would say it definitely can be both. Um, I think that I always try to strike, I think you really need to strike that balance between conceptual and hands-on um, because I think the conceptual is ultimately what opens up new perspectives for people um, when you can present things to them in a new way and then that hands-on component allows them to take that new perspective and to actually put it to use doing something and so I think you know that's where the magic happens where you can bring those two things together in any of the engagements. Yeah, and, and with that magic, I'm, I'm assuming, you know, there's probably had a couple of success stories when people really, you know, had some breakthroughs. Do you think you could share one with us? Sure, of course. Um, there's two that come to mind. Uh, one was a client who works, and I'm trying to be uh, circumspect here, <laughs> not, reveal, not reveal anything I don't want to reveal. Um, but one was a client that, let's just say they were connected in some way to the government. And um, a lot of people believe that government is antithetical to creativity. Um, but I don't buy that. I think that there's lots of creative governing that we do. Um, and this group, they came in and we did a lab where we gave them an assessment um, that measured what their proclivities were um, as relates to creative problem solving. And it's not only an assessment at the individual level, but you then look at those assessments um, as a group and you can see the team's proclivities for creative problem solving. And their particular profile, once you put it together as a group, really um, was revelatory um, for them because it really answered the question of why they kept doing the same things over and over, even though those things weren't serving them well. And with that knowledge, they were really able to go and they were able to mindfully manage the process so that they could change that trajectory. And they were able afterwards to have a lot more success. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's, it's interesting because oftentimes people, you just don't know what you don't know, right? And so you keep working in this pattern and sometimes it just takes a little bit of change to kind of break that rhythm, break that, uh, break that consistent chain of, of succession. So I definitely understand you probably do this in person. Is it available online if other people wanted to remote in and kind of do a virtual type session? Yeah, and actually, you know, that really connects to the second story, if you will, that I would think of if that just pops to my mind when I think about success stories. And that's a client that I saw once in person and then I did a second um, gig for them virtually. And what was really interesting about the second virtual gig was um, the first live gig really laid the groundwork um, because I was able, again, to kind of understand their organizational process because this wasn't a team, this was an entire organization um, that I worked with. And then for the virtual session, I was able to custom design the workshop so that I was scaffolding the areas where they as a group were the weakest. And so the process was designed to support them through the parts of the creative process that were the most difficult for them. And so they were able to come out on the end um, with two 
projects. Um, and they were able to now, they're in the process, I just checked in with them actually two weeks ago, and they're in the process of um, their final implementation for them. And it was a really great success story for them because they often thought when they had um, retreats or they had um, these annual meetings that they would come up with a lot of ideas, but that ultimately they wouldn't be able to take those ideas through to fruition. And so by designing the process around their, you know, to help them support where they were having the most issues, we were able to get over that valley of death, if you will, and able to get them to fruition. Yeah, that's, I mean, I think that's where a lot of people kind of get hung up on the process. It's either um, they can come up with a ton of ideas and don't know how to move forward, or they can even get stuck before that and just can't create ideas, can't kind of get out of their own head or their own space. So um, I'm happy that you're kind of breaking through, you know, some of those challenges for people because I feel like that's a lot of, um, it's missing in a lot of teams. So any way that we can get people to help and kind of think a little bit differently to create different results is going to end up being better for everyone. For sure. And it's a lot of fun, too. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll definitely um, include that in the show notes. So if anybody wants to get in touch with Kim about one of her one of her um, sessions, you're more than welcome to do so. To get into the episode a little bit, um, our topic for today is kind of an interesting one. Um, and I think, you know, for families out there, for anybody that's trying to teach, you know, uh, your teenagers, your young kids about life skills and stuff, our episode topic for today is how might we use reality TV to teach our teenage children better social skills and street smarts. So my original first thought with this is kind of where did this come from um, and how can we use it to the best of our advantage? And there's a wide variety of reality shows out there. So you have ones that talk about homes like HGTV and mortgage. You have the real, I guess you might say the rough ones that are centered around things like Jersey Shore and stuff that'll just kind of out there. Um, And then you have maybe love focused ones like Love Island and The Bachelor and things like that. So um, I have a bonus daughter who's 11. So she's right on that precipice of going into her teenage years. We kind of use this as an opportunity to, you know, instill some of those life skills. But to start, what are the, I guess, do we first have to kind of identify the skills that we want to go in and teach them ahead of time? Or is it one of those things that we just kind of watch and whenever those teachings or learnings come about, we just kind of talk to them at the moment? Is that fair to start with? Yeah, I think one of the things that's interesting for me when I'm thinking about that is obviously reality TV is a subset of television and of visual images. And so I have always thought it was really important. And um, as Mike shared about his uh, family situation, I will also say I'm the mom of three. Um, I have a uh, 22-year-old and I have a 17-year-old and I have a 14-year-old. And so I had always tried from the time that they were small to use images and TV in general um, and try to teach them to be more savvy viewers of images Mm -hmm. Um, in the same way that, you know, we often teach kids to read books and we ask them questions about those books. Um, People often don't do the same thing with pictures or with TV. They feel like they're self-explanatory because, hey, it's a picture, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and the other thing, you know, to, to speak to that point is, you know, I try and 
um, showcase a different viewing platform and different different images to view. So not only is it just the reality TV stuff, but um, sometimes I'll flip on and say there's other things that you can learn from it. Like National Geographic is a wonderful one. Discovery Channel, you know, you can go on and you learn about bugs in Africa or you know ants in the rainforest or whatever the case may be. But you know, those are different ways that people can learn just, you know, material. Um, and of course, the visualizations of and David Attenborough's voice is always, you know, very soothing and can teach you a lot. But, you know, to get into, um, I guess, you know, the, some of the teachings that I think are kind of valuable, are especially the ones around, you know, life skills that you can do. Like, so how to use your money, how to interact with people, how to have, you know, appropriate, you know, balance in your social life. Like, those are the ones that kind of stick out to me. Like, do you have any of that kind of, I guess, principles that seem to resonate with you that you've noticed? Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I definitely am um, keen on the idea of finance and money management, um, because I think those are often things that aren't taught in normal curriculum. Um, and also there's things that sometimes when you're at home um, as the parent or parents, you're doing those things, but a lot of times you're not talking about them um, because, you know, we're all just trying to get by. No, we're working, we're cooking dinner, we're helping with the homework, we're paying the bills. And we don't often think, hmm, maybe this is the time I should stop paying my mortgage bill and have a meta narrative about, you know, how interest works <laughs> with my kids. <laughs> and so I think that sometimes these reality shows, they offer some um, opportunities to have those conversations that aren't in that pressing moment when you're trying to do those financial things for yourself. And then a second, um, a second level of things that I like to talk with my kids about around the reality programs are relationships. Um, mm -hmm. Because I think relationships are often the focal point of tension. And so, of course, reality TV likes to focus on tension so much that it really delves into relationships, both romantic relationships and friend relationships and rival relationships, um, you know, all of those. And then probably the third thing would be... Um, you know, something that's maybe harder sometimes to have those conversations with their kids too, depending on their ages and um, their attitudes. But a lot of times thinking about substance and substance abuse, um, yes. those things come up a lot too. And you know, how people are using alcohol or how they're using prescription or recreational drugs. Oh, that's that's a great point and the the one that i used completely inadvertently the other day was um we were watching was it, i think it was hgtv you know and it's like house hunters right um and my 11 the 11 year old was was talking and, and she said well i would get this particular house um because it more it looks like what i want you know but it was also very far away from the particular person's work versus the other one, and I, and I paused it for, I don't, I don't remember what reason, but I asked her, well, what's your thought process? And of course, you know, she's of the age of, hey, it looks pretty, it looks nice, it, you know, it fits with my flow. I said, okay. I was like, but what about your commute to work? It's 45 minutes instead of 15. I was like, when are you gonna have to buy a bus pass to do it? You're gonna buy a Metro pass to do it. I was like, that's gonna be extra money, plus the other place is, I think it was like $600 a month cheaper. And I said, $600 a month, you could travel a little bit more, you could eat out a little bit more, you could save with that money. 
Um, I think they were in Europe and in Germany or something like that. Um, she's like, oh yeah. She's like, well, I kind of want to do those things. I said, these are these decisions in life that you have to you have to think about and go through. And she's like, these these are hard. And I'm like, yeah, sometimes they are. Like, but you just have to work through them with your you know significant other or whomever that it is. But it was a real opportunity to kind of show her that hey, like think the process through all the way, you know, because oftentimes if you go with that gut reaction, sometimes it's right. There's also sometimes a better option out there that you might not be thinking of initially than mm-hmm. you had thought of before. Yeah, I think that that really resonates with me, um, and especially right now, because um, my family, we recently went to an Airbnb and obviously we're trying to social distance because of the COVID-19 pandemic. And so, you know, we stayed in a lot and uh, we binged uh, this show called, you know, Marriage or Mortgage. And the show focuses on couples who have saved a nest egg of money and they're trying to decide whether they're going to use it for the dream wedding or whether they're going to use it to put down a down payment on a house. And it was kind of funny to watch it with my kids because um, I realized my kids aren't very romantic (laughs) because they were all mortgage, mortgage. Um, which was, which was funny, but there was one, there was one episode that really caused a lot of, um, thought and controversy, maybe is the right word. Um, but at least it was thought provoking and it was a couple who had been living together for some years and they had two, um, young children and they were trying to decide and they were living in a small two bedroom apartment. And so the side of the mortgage was clear, like what the benefits were going to be. They were going to have a place where their kids were each going to be able to have um, their own rooms and they were going to have a yard to play in. Um, But the father also mentioned that, you know, the wedding for him was a way for him to show his sons, like how important the of this family unit was to him, Um, you know, with the wedding and the kind of public um, you know, formalization of their relationship um, and their family. And so even though we kind of disagreed with them because, uh, you know, they said at one point, we want to make the the best for our boys. Um, and then they chose the marriage. And so we thought a lot about it and we really were kind of digging in and thinking, you know, in what ways might people see that as being the best decision for their kids when on a material level, you would just assume that the mortgage was the right thing. And so it really got us thinking. And then to your story, um, my daughter is actually getting married this week. And we went last week to look for apartments in Baltimore. And we revisited this conversation um, and we had a really in-depth discussion about like what things were more important to them because they were trying to go between two different choices and one was materially better, but the other was emotionally better. Um, and it was fun to be able to kind of, uh, refer back to that episode and consider how it might've guided our thought process. Yeah, that's, that's one of those, it, it, it's a struggle, right? Um, because uh, my uh, daughter, she, we watched one one of those episodes, and you know she's in the 
very romanticized state of, of marriage, you know, so it's, you know, two people fall in love, you know, they have the, the, the two kids, the dog named Rover, and they ride off into the sunset. While sometimes that is true, oftentimes, sometimes it just doesn't work out, right? And so um, I, I asked her one day, I said, well, what's the difference between the day before you get married and the day after? Hmm. And she's like, well, you're, you're married at that point. And I was like, okay, then, yeah, that's true. I was like, but in your day-to-day life, like, what's different? And she, she of course, she couldn't really name anything. Um, and so not to be a Debbie Downer on marriage at all, but um, it's just that, you know, I, I kind of want to illustrate a different way of thinking to her um, that, that was helpful. And speaking of a different, you know, way of thinking, I think, you know, you touched on a couple of a couple of topics, you know, a couple of minutes ago in regards to, you know, the other things that we can show. And unfortunately, some of those might be the realizations of negative consequences that people have in their lives that we do. Um, so one of the ones that sticks out to me is sometimes on the more eclectic reality shows you might witness, you know, the violence and the people have to get in trouble with the law afterwards and stuff like that. And I think those are also some opportunities to say, hey, yeah, maybe you might be able to go out with your friends and have a good time, um, but also be cognizant of what you're doing and how much you're you know, maybe drinking or partaking in the recreational drugs and stuff and how, what those outcomes can look like in your life as well. Um, and I think that's a huge portion for um, young adults to understand because oftentimes um, we get to a certain age, we might think we're invincible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's also some ramifications that happen afterwards. Yeah, and I think that that's, especially when you have... Um, I think especially when you have teenagers, because as you were saying, your daughter is kind of that age where she might be romanticizing um, love relationships or marriage. Um, you know, I think sometimes teenagers get into that stage, obviously, where they romanticize this concept of being an adult and being able to, you know, go out to bars and um, get your drink on. And, um, you know, while I'll be the first to say that can be fun, um, you know, it also does definitely have, um, you know, it has another side to it. And so I think it is really important to have those conversations with your kids. And I often just, I try to, I try to use those as jumping off moments. So for example, if we see somebody on TV who has had something happen to them that, um, as a result of doing this, and I might ask my kids, you know, you know, how might that situation have turned out differently? You know, what are things that people might do um, in order to, you know, mitigate that um, from happening? And you know, I'll be the first to say that, you know, I have had the conversation, especially with my middle daughter, um, where I told her, you know. I'm not gonna. I'm not going to be um, naive and think that you know you're not gonna ever drink or ever do anything like that. But might it not be best to have your first drinking experiences um, just be with your girlfriends, um, so that you can see, you know, this is how that feels, or you know, that's how you know I react in an environment where you feel safe and there are people there who you know only have your best interests at heart. 
Yeah, that's a great point, especially for, I'm thinking about, you know, young adults that might be going off to college or, um, you know, in, embarking on that scene because I feel like things can get away from you really quickly. You know, you're under mom and dad's, you know, kind of house, your roof, maybe leave, you go off to school or, or um, you know, just leave the nest, right? And then all of a sudden you're thrown into these parties and these situations that are very adult and you think you can handle it and then maybe you have a couple of drinks and things get a little cloudy and then all of a sudden you know the situation can change really quickly um a friend of mine on on a personal level um, a friend of mine and i had a very similar experience in which we didn't drink a lot until like we kind of hit our college years and we decided hey let's do this in a very more controlled environment so we actually got a bottle and stayed inside um, and we played video games for five six hours straight and we were drinking inside our dorm room um, and while it might seem like really you're gonna go to a, a big school and, and drink inside your dorm room like you sound like a ton of fun right <laughs> um, but it was a great learning experience because for not drinking a lot like I understood what I couldn't could do what would happen with my body the way that I viewed things just understanding my motor skills and stuff like that so that way when I did leave my place I felt a whole lot more comfortable at the range of inebriation that I was at when I was embarking with the with the regular world Um, and so doing that in a safe environment and I think instilling that type of mentality of to say hey you don't have to go you know all the way to Z immediately like you can gradually ease into um, these decisions by making smarter, short-term decisions um, about how you're going to progress through. Yeah, for sure. I think that is so true. Yeah. So one of the things that I, you know we definitely want to kind of touch on is, I mean, we've talked about you know the marriage aspect of it and and how that works, but um, I think sometimes these reality shows can be really good with just teaching people how to deal with other people, good, bad, or indifferent, on a regular basis. Um, some of the ones that come to mind for, for me, example, is um, is Love Island. So you have to think just six people come on the show and there's no electronics and they just pretty much, you know, half naked one walking around, dating each other, talking to each other, going out on dates and all those kinds of things. And so as you can imagine, with some drama, people getting kicked off the island and people talking to so-and-so's girlfriend or boyfriend or dating somebody around and people's all, all kinds of feelings involved, um, it's a good time to illustrate that sometimes there's some things that are for editing, but sometimes some feelings are real and how to approach difficult conversations um, with others that you might not have had before. So one of the ones that comes to mind is, you know, somebody, maybe I've talked to somebody else's, you know, other on the show and um, it took a moment to just say, hey, listen, that didn't sit well with me because you didn't, you know, maybe ask permission to go talk with them and stuff. So um, having that direct communication and sit down for chats, I think is, is helpful to kind of showcase to our younger teenagers how to handle situations maturely Mm -hmm. yeah i think that i've had a lot of myself um insights obviously and then also being able to share these experiences with my kids um and i think that's maybe one of the things i mean that we we didn't say at the beginning is you know i mean obviously 
Um, even though my PhD is in medieval literature, it's not as if I'm like sitting in the library, you know, inhaling dusty tomes all the time. You know, we all enjoy reality TV. Yeah, like we all like we, we all enjoy just doing it. But then also it's a way to share time with our kids because it's such a mainstay of especially teenagers and what they enjoy. And so it's just a way to like connect. And I found that when we're watching some of these shows, like um, one for me that springs to mind is Ink Masters, which is this tattoo competition. And it's really based on rivalry. Um, and we've had a lot of really great discussions um, because there are some people who are there who just come and tattoo. And, you know, they're hoping that their tattoos are better than other people's. But then there are some people who come in with the idea that they're going to play the game and they're going to antagonize other people um, and they're going to try to win in that way. And so it's been really interesting for me to talk with my kids about, you know, what's the cost benefit analysis there? You know, yes, you might get some advantage by antagonizing other people, but, you know, is it really smarter to be more agreeable and just be better than other people, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, why yeah. always, like, take the low road? And so those have been some really, I think, interesting conversations um, with the kids um, on that topic. Yeah, it's, the competition shows is a completely different element because I feel like it's a little bit different because there's an added pressure to win something. Oftentimes it's monetary value, $100,000 or whatever the case may be. So, you know, how do you treat people in going after that particular goal or prize? Um, sometimes people can help you along the way. Sometimes, you know, they might not. You know, things like Survivor, for example, is a is a classic one in which, yeah, you can go through it, you know, kind of being a jerk. But sometimes those people that are kicked off the show come back and end up having some type of vote that might affect you. So it might be more helpful to be nice and like agreeable, like you said. So um, I think that's another huge kind of learning, you know, moment for for everybody. Um, so I think we got a, a lot of really good um, bits of information, so I'm just going to roll them all back here um, quickly just to see if we missed anything. So when we're talking about sharing teachings and learnings with our kids from reality TV shows, one of the things that we want to make sure to do is find moments in which we can kind of pause and ask questions um, to kids to illustrate certain points. Um, we want to make sure to delicately handle situations that could potentially become out of hand. So we're talking about substance abuse or alcohol or, you know, maybe violent situations and stuff like that. And look at those moments as teaching moments to be able to share um, different different information there. Um, weighing the pros and cons of life choices, whether it's, you know, mortgage or marriage or stuff like that and how to think processes all the way through, you know, towards the end, how to understand the ramifications of the actions that, that happen. Um, also being able to take a step back, taking things slow in your life and kind of understanding um, how things can materialize in the future. And then how to have mature conversations with people that might be delicate. Um, and then also just kind of how to treat people in general um, as you go about your life and kind of putting some better, more good positive vibes out there um, rather than negativity and stuff. Some good conflict is uh, is good, but we want to make sure that, um, as a whole, we're being more positive than negative. Did I miss anything in there? No, I think that's pretty complete, and I would just say that if I had 
One last thing to add is if, you know, we could just get meta for a second about the process of making the reality show. It is what we see on the screen. We don't see all of the things that go into that because um, those are kind of like the behind the scenes, you know, what are the editors doing? What are the producers doing? Um, what conversations have happened between these um, participants, you know, off screen? Um, we only get to see like one face and I just think that that's a valuable lesson in itself for we go around the world and we interact with people and we often think that whatever we're seeing is what is and there's often a lot of things going on behind the scenes that we're not seeing and I think if we could just kind of take that moment to like stop and reflect you know we might figure out sometimes that you know the even though I'm angry about it, the guy who was mean to me in the deli, you know, it probably wasn't about me. Um, it was probably about something that was going on with him behind the scenes. And, you know, I shouldn't take it too much to heart. Yeah, that's a great point. Just understanding the context of the interactions with people. You never know what anybody else is going through. So um, to make that realization, you know, and realize that reality TV, it's, it's reality, but they also want to, they also want people to watch. So. Um, they, they definitely keep that in mind when creating the show. Kim, thank you so much. I think I, I, we really covered a, you know, a wide gamut of, of topics today or, or, and, and a whole lot of insights. So I really appreciate you know, your time and, and sharing your, everything from you know, Ink Masters and you know, your, percep your, your perception of uh, marriage and mortgage with us. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And anytime you want to chat about reality TV, hit me up. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And um, for your listeners out there, don't forget to, to wait till after the break for our Idea Prop Insight. Hey, everyone. I wanted to talk with you a little bit for our Idea Prop Insight about anxiety. So here's an article that I found that I thought was kind of interesting, and it really kind of helps wrap our minds around um, how we manage anxiety. So whether it's from recent COVID times, or maybe returning back to work, or just things going on in your own personal life, I thought it was helpful to, to share this insight. It really talks about um, healthy anxiety versus unhealthy anxiety, what to do about it, and how it manifests itself in our bodies and the way that we interact on a regular basis. So I thought it'd be helpful to share this so that way people could have a better balance with it and kind of create a better mental space for them to be productive in their work and their lives. Thanks. Until next time.